Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Moss. I'm president at Embassy National Bank here in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And um, welcome to our inaugural show of On the Money, where at Embassy we're going to bring in various small business owners and various small business professionals Talk to them about what they do, about what some of the pitfalls are that they can look forward to in small business, but also maybe give them some uh, helpful comments to improve. Um, so we're really looking forward to this, and uh, thanks for Business Radio to, to help get this thing done. Um, we've got two very good guests today um, to open up our show. The first is Mr. Nitin Shaw. Uh, Nitin serves as president of Imperial Investments Group which is a Georgia-based hospitality company that he founded in 1984. Uh, they've got 15 hotels at this point, plus a variety of commercial real estate projects. And I'm also proud to say he's chairman and CEO of Embassy National Bank, uh, which is sponsoring the show, which got started in uh, 2008, opens its doors, and uh, has grown to about $100 million in assets. And our focus at Embassy is on small business. We want to help the small business owner both on the lending side as well on the deposit side. And if small business prospers, we prosper. My other guest today is Bobby Goff. Uh, Bobby is Senior Vice President also at Embassy National Bank. His specialty is in providing SBA loans to small business owners. He's also done uh, USA, USDA loans as well, and uh, Bobby has been in this business for 30-plus years. Um, I don't know how many loans he's done. It's uh, a lot, and uh, it's really good to have Bobby here. So, Nitin, thank you for being here. Bobby, thank you. Sure. Thank you. We'll just have an informal conversation. Um, Nitin, thanks for coming. I know Nitin just got off an airplane. He's on an airplane for like 22 hours, and he's here today, so we like that. And uh, thanks for being here, Nitin. I know it's you look a little tired. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the invite. Um, tell me about you're in the hotel business, been in there a long time. What's going on in the hotel industry today for the medium and small hotel? Uh, since 2009 until uh, probably 2013, the times were very difficult. The times have certainly improved. Uh, the, largely, the difficulty was getting financing of any kind because of the crisis in financial institution. All the business that were specialty business for the bank purposes or anything has to do with real estate were really hurt because all these banks were loaded with real estate bad loans. Mm -hmm. So the situation for any small business owner which owned a hotel or any other real estate was very difficult to get financing. Now in 2000, later part of 2013 and 14, things have approved, but I think they are still not as normal as they were before 2007. Um, but there are a lot of hotel owners whose debt is still high compared to their net operating income. Is that correct? Well, their debt is high compared to the value of the hotel, and value of the hotel is determined by the net income. And some of them have not been able to come out of under the water and lost the hotels. A lot of have been able to work out a temporary deal with them. A lot of lucky ones have been able to get a refinancing from non-bank lenders. 
if they had the right brands and you know right operations and whatnot. But it's in general for getting second tier, third tier franchise brands, hotels, you're financing, especially if they're exterior corridor or they're located in a small town, the, the, the financing is still very difficult unless, of course, you go to an SBA loans or a USDA loans from small community banks. Yeah, we've talked about it. Um, the exterior hotel, exterior corridor hotel, uh, a lot of banks shy away from, but there are a lot of customers that really like the exterior corridor hotel. Yes, a lot of uh, senior citizens like down and out room. In case of a fire, they're not very good at moving around the staircases and stuff. So they would rather take a door and see the outside of it and get out. A lot of construction workers, they want to see their construction vans, tools, and whatnot. There are a lot of truckers who want to, you know, make sure their stuffs are, you know, properly stored and whatnot. So this is certainly a market in the areas which is heavily trialed by senior citizens like I-95 going to Florida. And any connector that takes senior citizens or a lot of truckers to that route, you know, there is a demand for exterior corridor hotels. Um for the medium and economy size hotel, what are the how are the ADRs doing? The occupancy rates and the resulting uh, revenue per available room. How how is that tracking over the last couple of years? Well, one of the benefits of the recession was that non not not many new constructions got built. So the existing hotels, as the demand kept on rising because the economy improved, the existing hotels are doing better. And they would have otherwise done had there been a major construction boom. But because from 2009 to 2013, very few hotels got built because there was no financing. And suddenly because of the government stimulus package and, you know, in general improvement economy, those hotels are doing better than ever. I think ADR and occupancy or what we call REVPAR is about to increase about 7% in 2014. So things are looking good for hotel industry now because what happened for the last five years. Yeah, we've seen a lot of product over the last couple of years, and it's uh, seen, we've helped a lot of hotel owners at the bank. Um, and one thing that impresses me is the uh, amount of uh, care and pride that the uh, small and medium hotel owners put in their property because it's basically uh, almost all they own. Yeah, I, I personally think that is what a lot of community banks have failed to recognize, that this business people – own one or two hotels, and that's all they got. Some of them live on the hotels, and if they lose that hotel, they lose everything. They lose not only hotel, real estate, but they lose their lifestyle. Sometimes they lose their wife's job or kid's job. So for me as a banker, I must tell you that this is the safest investment you can make because, as I said before, they will give you blood before they give you the hotel back because everything they got is riding on that particular business. Is it a good time to be buying a hotel? It's it's a good time to be buying the hotel because the prices have not picked to the 2007 levels, even though they have gone up slightly from 2008-2009 levels. So I think it's still a good time to buy hotels. Um, you're listening to On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking with Nitin Shaw. Um, Nitin, we've heard, we've talked a lot about. PIP, which is the property improvement that everybody has to maintain to keep their franchise intact. It seems like some of those come out of the blue and are a surprise to a hotel owner. Tell us about what's going on with the various franchises and what they're requiring now of their, of their franchisees. 
Well, the PIP come into play only time when there's a transfer of the franchise or your franchise is about to expire and you want trying to renew it. And generally, the, the word PIP is used compared to the quality assurance report or quality deficiency in the quality inspection report. The difference is PIP is much more expensive. This is the one chance that a, the franchisor gets because there's a transfer and you need their signature. There's a transfer of ownership, so they like to see the entire hotel brought to the newest standard they have. So they make the new owner spend all this money. And, and if you are not very adept to knowing what you're buying, you can get into very cheap hotel thinking that's a cheap price, but when it comes to the PIP, it becomes very expensive. So a, a good buyer should look at the condition of the hotel, do the PIP before the closing, look at the cost, go to the bank and find out how he can finance the purchase price plus the closing cost plus the PIP and find out how he can maximize leverage. And at Embassy, we are great at doing that because you know we know the business, so we mm -hmm. can understand the PIP. There have been instances where we told the prospective buyer that your PIP is not, uh, you know, well priced. You need more money than you're thinking, and we have given them more money. So, if a, a, a informed banker who has an experienced in that particular lending uh, industry is really able to help borrower more than borrower can help himself, especially for the new buyers or first-time buyers. It's it's interesting because I had a um, discussion with a a young Indian man, and um, I asked him if he was going to ever own a hotel, and he says, "No, I grew up in hotels, and I'm going to go do something else." But that's what we find: or the the families actually grow up in the hotel. Well, that happened about 15 years ago when the first generation started getting old. Second generations came, they were all well-educated, well they had a good English speaking compared to their parents. They went to New York and got a job at AT&T and MCI and you know Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan and all that. And after, I think, a few years, they got burned out. And then they finally decided, hey, my dad was driving a Lexus, he was owning his car, he was waking up whenever he wanted it, he wanted to work whenever he wanted to work. So a lot of them have returned back. Only people that I don't think who could return back are the people who are like medical doctors. It's very difficult for them. But nevertheless, they have been a big investor in hotel business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's been a homecoming from a lot of young people to their own businesses. And, you know, I can talk about my daughter. She's a young attorney. She's doing well. But, you know, she has not forgotten that she wants to be an entrepreneur one day. Um, you're involved with AHOA. Right, uh, been, and you actually helped start AHOA. Can you tell us what AHOA is? AHOA uh, stands for Asian American Hotel Owners Association. Uh, the association is made of about 12,000 hoteliers, the individuals, which own about 25,000 hotels in the country, which makes up about 40% of all hotels in the country. We employ about 12 to 15% of all people employed in travel industry. That includes entertainment, theme parks, and all that. And we own properties worth about 150 billion. So it's a very significant portion of hotel industry. And, and, and the association is headquartered right in Atlanta. About 28 people work in there full time, serving the needs of the hotel owners. That starts from education, professionalism, to lobbying in Washington, D.C., to the state level, local level, and the federal level. Um, what kind of issues are you working on with AHOA? right now well we are working on all myriad of issues we you know we are working on minimum wage issues we are working on OSHA regulations we are working on pool lift issues 
We are working to free up the capital and SBA loans. We are we are trying as much as possible to tell um, the regulators how good SBA 504 financing was and to reopen the whole 504 financing for refinancing of the properties. So all these people who are hurting and can't get their hotel financing who are in the need of getting a, a refinancing done, otherwise the the... The, the the negative is they're going to lose the hotel. They're going to lose the uh, all. Everybody's going to lose the job, and you'll see a hotel cordoned off with a van, fence, which has happened in many many markets. Wow, um, I want to get into the whole financing thing relative to hotels, but let me bring Bobby in. Um, like I said, Bobby has got a lot of experience with SBA financing, and um, let's just uh, have some overview questions with Bobby, and then we'll. We'll just have a roundtable um, with uh, what's going on with the refis, uh, refinancings of, of, of hotels. Um, Bobby, what is SBA? Um, Joe, SBA is an agency set up by the government in the early 50s. Uh, primarily was originally a direct lending program where the government actually made loans uh, two small businesses. It was to fill a need. I think the the uh, need is obvious, and we we all certainly all in this room are aware of what they're for and why they uh, why the government needs to have intervention and help Main Street. But um, originally, SBA created a program where they were the lender. Um, part of the criteria had been that you had to have two letters of declination from conventional lenders. And so really the quality, I think, initially was, was tough, and it had a high default rate. It evolved into a guarantee program where the government would come in, initiate bank partnerships where the bank would take a portion of the risk, the government would take a portion of the risk, and it's evolved into the very successful program that it is today. Yeah, one of the things that uh, a lot of people don't understand about SBA is that the government's not, not writing a check. Correct. Uh, the banks are writing it with the assistance, with a guarantee, if you will, from SBA. That's correct. So it's yes. a self-funding program. Yeah. You know, when I when I initially got into SBA lending in the early 80s, I would still have hear stories from people that either had had this experience or had talked with people who literally SBA would drop in on them and they'd audit their books and they'd ask questions and they'd ask for data that perhaps they weren't prepared to give. And it, it did give it a, a tough, tough reputation. At this point, though, it's a, it's a very bank-driven program. Uh, borrowers will never talk to anybody with the SBA. The bank deals with SBA, um, you know, in securing that guarantee. People like us at Embassy are preferred lenders, which means we have a delegated authority to actually approve loans on behalf of SBA, and which uh, certainly speeds up the process tremendously. Um, do, you, do you think this is a proper role for government to play? Um, you know, I do. It, and I do especially in the environment that we've gone through over the last five or six years where credit markets have just crashed. Um, Certainly large businesses are always going to have their bank relationships and, and partnerships and private equity groups that are going to fund what they need when they need it. But what Main Street was the, uh, was the hardest hit, and I think there were some changes made during the early stages of the Obama administration that were tremendously helpful to the agency and to the banks that um, participated in this program. 
And so, yeah, I, I do. I, I feel very strongly about that, even in an era where I think we're all cognizant of um, just deficits and too much spending and, you know, perhaps sometimes unwise spending. But I think you can't, given the the tremendous impact that small business has in terms of job growth and job development. Um, you know, keep in mind this, that we, you know, look, look at corporations went through downsizing and continue to go through downsizing. And they hire, hire contractors, which typically are small businesses. Many of them are our small business borrowers. So, yeah, I, I do. I think uh, probably now more than ever. The program uh, has a has a real basis in uh, in the economy. Can any small business get an SBA loan? <clears throat> there are definitions based on the type business you are. Um, the criteria in terms of employees has always been about five hundred employees. There are certain changes in that depending on what kind of business you have. But so five hundred is the cap. That that would be the cap. Yeah, okay. and so sir, you know when when you think of that, that encompasses. Most businesses. But someone wanting to start up a pizza business, for example, a SBA may be a great alternative for it, them. It absolutely is. It, the franchise um, borrowers are, are a big share of, of who the SBA customers are. Um, should I, I get questions all the time. Well, I don't want an SBA loan. I'll just do a bank loan. Um, what's the best way to respond to that? Yeah, we, we, we all get that, and I think part of it goes back to the perception that the SBA is a lot more trouble and a lot more paperwork. Um, perhaps part of the perception is they know people that went to banks that aren't PLP lenders, as Embassy National Bank is. Um, and what I always tell them is, look, if you have a you – know, you, you may have a conventional alternative, and if you do, compare it to what we're quoting – um, and see what the best deal is for you. Typically, though, I think in um, most cases, they'll see that from an SBA standpoint, they can get longer terms. It's a fully liquidating loan. SBA will not allow a uh, balloon. And, uh, you know, the interest rates are favorable and the equity. And the interest rates are very favorable. A good, equi- a good interest rate now on an SBA loan is what? Prime plus what? Well, it depends on the we, – we, we and I think most banks look at it on a on a kind of risk basis based on what it is, how much equity is, how much, uh, you know, just our overall risk would be. But um, most of what we do are real estate-based loans, and so we're fully secured. So depending on the uh, the strength of the deal, we'll be as, ingress- as aggressive as we need to be. I think, Joe, I'll, I'll make one more point, which is very important, telling the borrower that in SBA – you can get away with 15%, 10% equity, which is very important to the borrower. In conventional loans, right now, I think where the situation is, 25% is, is, is the best you can get. The can best, get, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But majority of the hotel owners are struggling with 60, 65% loan to value, so they'll come up with you know, 35, 40%. If they get, get SBA route, they can get away with 15, 20, sometimes even 10%. So that is the number one selling point that I would tell them. And second thing I'll tell them, hey, you are OPEC. Nothing that SBA does has to do anything with you. You just deal with us just like you will doing a regular loan. You will not know any difference between a uh, conventional loan and SBA loan. So as long as they don't have to go through the trouble, I think you can convince them to get to SBA loan. I think the major 
difference is is the points. And the they have to pay three points versus they pay generally half a point to one point in conventional law. And I think that is the reason you say, hey, but then you need to put 35, 40% equity versus 15, 20%. Well, Bobby brought up the balloon payments. Um, why don't you talk, Nitin, why don't you talk about um, some of these borrowers out there that had a 35-month loan. They thought they had a great rate. Uh, they had a good amortization, but and after you know the maturity comes up, what happened to those people? Well, I'm one of them. I had a $25 million loan expired in the middle of 2009. And, and even though I had the, I, if I had the terminology in my loan documents that they would approve one, seven, one-year extensions, they basically called the loan and saying that, you know, we have right to not approve it. And my bank got closed. My loan got sold to somebody in Chicago who I had no relationship with. One day, one fine day, I just got a call from them that within 60 days, your 25.3 millions are coming due. And in the were, middle of recession. And you were current on the loan. And too. I was current in the loan. It was loan was just coming to maturity. So I agree uh, that having SBA not having any balloon is, is a tremendous advantage because I remember I, I could have lost all the hotels. Yeah, that's uh, we, we're, we're seeing that a lot. And, and the response and feedback that, that I hear from small business owners after we've helped them is, um, you mean I can just sit back and make this payment and I don't ever have to worry about it again? And I said, yes, that is correct. That's all you have to do. And, and within 20 years, it'll be paid off. Yeah. Um, but but there are, remember, Joe, there are a lot of loan documents that have other covenants. Like if you don't maintain debt coverage ratio of certain amount, your loan could be called. There's a thing called, uh, you know, debt ratio. Now suddenly they've come up with something different. So all this covenant needs to be read. Luckily for SBA, none of those things are important. So people can say, I have a 20-year loan. It's a really 20-year loan. Whereas conventional loan, you have to be really careful. What are the other covenants that can recall the loan? Um, Bobby, talk about the process that we follow at Embassy National Bank. If a small business owner wants a loan. Talk about the process that, that we go through from approval, well, I guess application all the way through to um, uh, the funding of the loan, the sure. closing of the loan. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Joe, myself and, and the other loan officers at the bank um, will talk with a lead or talk with a referral source. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've been at the bank long enough and know the bank policy enough and, and have been through um, what we're looking for and will and won't do enough that, that we are pretty comfortable going into it to issue a quote, which we do in writing, usually within a day, of getting certain basic financial information. Um, from there, we, we have a weekly what we call a pre-qualification meeting, and we do those more often as needed. And uh, we, we sit down with senior management, and we say, we made this proposal to a borrower given certain circumstances of what they're looking for. We summarize the financial data, and uh, senior management looks at it, and based on that information, agrees with us. Maybe they make some tweaks. Maybe on occasion they'll turn it down and think we were, uh, you know, just it was not something we wanted to do. But what it does is gives the borrower the understanding that as we go through the full credit process that, um, you know, it's it's something that senior management's looked at and we've looked at and, and should be headed to a uh, successful loan committee. From there, that process probably takes uh, to get into committee maybe 10 days or so. Um, 
hopefully get the loan approved. Hopefully the borrower accepts the commitment as, as presented. And, um, you know, we usually say it's probably going to take a month, maybe 40 days to get closed. Uh, part of that delay, you know, we order third-party reports, including an appraisal, which takes about a month, maybe three weeks. And uh, so, you know, we've, we've got a back office that understands the process, that uh, has done it a lot. And, um, you know, I think we're as, we're as good as anyone. I've done this for a long time, and I think we're as, as qualified, more qualified than, than any place I've been to getting it to the, to the closing table. Yeah, you hear horror stories about the uh, what's called the SBA packaging person in a bank. Uh, but the one we have is uh, just as sweet as she can be. She'll stay on you to get all the documents. But um, uh, She's great. She's yeah. great, and it, and it works. Um, yeah. What's our typical closing time, you know, from when you issue your term sheet to when you close? From uh, beginning to end, it should be a 45- to 60-day process. Um, you know, one thing we try to coach borrowers on, depending on most of our transactions are real estate driven. Some of those are refinances, but some are purchases. If it's a real estate purchase, we try to look at the contract up front to make sure we've got adequate time to get it done. Uh, if we don't, we, you know, make, make the seller mindful of sort of what our schedule is going to be. And we just do what we have to do to, to stick with that. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get in and and once we get it approved, we're we are um, I think way ahead of a lot of our competition that is not a PLP lender. Um, you you know, keep I, saying that, and why don't yeah, we talk about uh, yeah. PLP versus the general program? Well, I, I have been in 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 the past, back in the old days, with with banks that weren't, and there are a lot of SBA, there are a lot of active SBA lenders out there now that don't have that PLP status. What that does is. The bank approves it at the point we move into the closing process, ordering third-party reports, engaging attorneys and engineers and appraisers. The other bank really is starting their process. Because they have to get approval they from have SBA. To put together, yeah, they have to put together a package for SBA. They have to deal with SBA questions. They have to deal with SBA perhaps looking at something they missed. Um, and, yeah, that's that's where the – both the uncertainty for the borrower comes in as well as just a significant time delay. You're listening to On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Uh, this is Joe Moss, and uh, you're, you're listening to Nitin Shaw and uh, Bobby Goff, and we're having, a, I think, a real good conversation. Nitin, um, at Embassy, we, we make a lot of loans to convenience stores and hotels. Uh, not everybody does that. Um, why has that become a niche for us? Why do we like that so much? Well, one of the reasons Embassy was founded was to really serve this particular uh, ethnic community because a lot of other bankers did not understand them. Not that we are limited to lending them. We, we always lend it to everybody else that wanted. But because we understand the domain, we understand the industry, we understand the player, the borrower itself, the character of the borrower, it is very easy for us to loan the money to them because we have dealt with them. We know their culture. We know their ability to pay. We know their capacity to pay. We know their intention to pay. And because of the experience of dealing with them, we know we, are, we know our borrowers. We know our business. We know our industry. Most of the people who are owner of this bank or the shareholders of the banks are owner of some of these businesses. So they know in and out what the problems of the borrowers are. There's nobody else who is in a position to help a borrower than the guy who is approving the loan who is a borrower himself because he has gone through the same process. 
That's the benefit you get at bank like this, which is owned by entrepreneur or lending, suddenly lending to the same business they own. Yeah, the uh, on the convenience stores, that that's an interesting business. Um, what's the future of convenience stores with electric cars and alternative energy and all that stuff? I personally think convenience stores are here to stay because of what it says. It's convenience. Nobody wants to get a milk of gallon and enter a Kroger and come out, come out of it that fast. So I think eventually it may evolve into having electrical plugs for electrical cars, still have gasoline, still have diesels. Uh, but, you know, there are lottery incomes. There are income from game machines, you know, which is now, you know, uh, really uh, been connected with the lottery machines. But they can't pay cash out, right? <laughs> no, they can't, of course. <laughs> but I think there are multiple sources of income. And I think they have figured out a way to now expand convenience store into having a Domino's pizza attached to it or some kind of laundromat or laundry machine attached to it. So there's some rental income coming in. So I think they have found a niche, and I think eventually you'll see convenience store becoming more sophisticated, better looking, better lighted, where people want to get in and out of it. Uh, I think they are here to stay. They've been here forever. They're going to stay here forever. I think you're right, Ned. They... um, The sales for the convenience store owner, his profit is inside. It's people not just buying gas. They make very little money on the gas. But uh, as you know and as we see when we analyze those numbers, their profit really is made on the inside. So when you look at at sort of the next phase of where convenience stores are going with the QTs, you know, people – those sales are enormous, and they're, they've got high-level employees, and they, they uh, just sell a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I think the, the convenience of the store, thus the term convenience store, um, yeah, I think regardless, that's, that's, uh, that, that's here to stay. I mean, you see cutie selling donuts, sandwiches. I mean, it has become like a mini restaurant and convenience stores. And I think that's a one-stop shop strategy for people to take a gas just go buy whatever they want to buy, coffee, donut, and whatnot, and they don't have to stop at two stations. And that's why I think QT has been very successful, and I think it's going to be replicated by many other people. Well, the, I, I like to say they've, they've replicated the old country C-store, but they've done it in an urban kind of flair. Because if you go, we really like the country C-stores because they're the only game in town. I mean, you never know. Tomorrow you may have a country store with a little Starbucks attached to it where people are sitting having coffee and whatnot. You never know. Yeah. No, but, yeah, we, we've done some of those country stores, and it's interesting. You go in and, and uh, A, we like it because you don't have the threat of a QT coming on the corner because it doesn't have the demographic to support that. But, uh, you know, it's like a mini Home Depot. They'll sell conduit and screws and and quick creed and whatever that community might need. So, yeah, they, they, uh, they serve whatever need their, their local community might have. Well, the C-stores that we finance have one major advantage over quick trip and racetrack, and that is when you go in and you buy something from them, they're, they're nice to you. And if you go back, they'll remember your name. So that's my plug for the, uh, to the family-owner-operated C-store. You bet. You bet. Um, Bobby, do we – do we broker our loans or do we hold our loans? Once, once someone makes a loan with us, do, are they going to be with us? Are, they gonna, are we going to sh- ship them off to another servicer somewhere? No, they, they are. We will service that loan um, through, its, through its maturity. Uh, sometimes we may make a business decision for a portion of that loan, the guaranteed portion. There is a secondary market. 
that uh, that's out there. Sometimes we may sell a portion of it. Sometimes we may not. So, uh, but as far as the borrower is concerned, we'll always service the loan. Um, we'll always retain a portion of the loan at least. And uh, so, yeah, any questions come to us. Circling back to what we said earlier, SBA is not involved. They're not calling, you know, some bureaucracy to find out um, what they do to pay it off or, you know, what, what some payment question might be. So, yeah, no, we're, we are the, uh, the servicer for life. Um, Nitin, talk about the – there's another part of SBA. It's called the 504 program. Can you talk about the 504 program and uh, – how a small business could benefit from that, and what some of the changes have been? The biggest benefit of 504 program is the loan amount. Whether in SBA 7 alone, the maximum loan amount is 5 million. In SBA 504, you can almost go to 10, 11 million. And the way it works is, is 50% of the 504 loan comes out on the bank, 35% comes out eventually from SBA by issuing a debenture, and the 15% comes out of the borrower. Sometimes it's 15% is reduced to 10 if the borrower is well qualified and experienced. So the number one advantage of SBA 504 is the higher loan amounts, much higher than SBA 7A. And second is you can get away with as less as 10 to 15% equity on a 10, 11 million dollar loan. The, the second biggest advantage is the debenture when it's sold, it comes out at a very uh, low fixed rate sometimes at three and a half, four percent, and it's fixed for life of that loan, which is 20, 25 years sometimes. So your uh, blended rate is very low, and, and the payment is for a long time. Only disadvantage, I think, is, uh, in 504 loan is sometimes there's a prepayment penalty on the second mortgage up to seven to 10 years. Because remember, those loans are sold in the market, and there's a bond created of it, but the investor buys it. So that's the only disadvantage. But if you're looking for $10 million, $11 million loan, 504 is the best route because you can get away with the least amount of equity. Can you um, use a 504 to refinance an existing loan? Well, not now. You cannot refinance it anymore. It used to be there was a period about a year and a half that government gave, which is what AHOA and a lot of us are lobbying to see if we can make that program permanent, especially because... Larger loan amount are still today are hard to obtain. Anything about five million, in between five to fifteen million dollar range, the loans for small business are very difficult to get. But because the Congress was so busy with fiscal cliff and budget talks and whatnot last year, nothing transpired. Bill is still pending in the Congress, waited to be acted upon. What I think is badly needed to be acted upon is which is refinancing a five or four program, five meaning five or four program to allow the refinancing of existing loans. Um, Nitin, and if a borrower is desirous of an SBA loan or any kind of financing um, and it goes to the bank, uh, what's, what, he, what should he, he or she look for? What should he or she be worried about if they see it? What are some of the pitfalls to the borrower um, in terms of uh, obtaining financing? That is no pitfall. I think borrower – what we see at the bank is borrower needs to come with a proper planning budget, understanding of what what is involved in buying a particular property, the PIP list, the closing cost, and the whole nine yard. If they come prepared, we are ready to really enhance uh, uh, their loan package into something that could be financeable. If only thing I would worry as an SBA uh, uh, borrower is, you know, why am I paying 3% where I would pay 1%? 
And and like Bobby said, you know, if you, if you have a source to get a conventional loan at 1% without balloon or something, and, you know, you like to deal with, or you like to deal with three-year, five-year balloon, and you can live with that, you could do that. But other than that, you know, borrower, uh, I don't see any other bad part about SBA loan except for three-point versus one-point. Well, it's, it's what, what are, Bobby, I, let me ask you this. Um, in terms of uh, what they see about the bank, what should the borrower worry about? Well, the first thing I would ask if uh, talking with an SBA lender is, are you a PLP lender? Um, and we're not the only one. There are others out there. But it's, a again, a, hu- a huge advantage from a uh, time standpoint and, frankly, an experience standpoint. Experienced lenders have that status. So uh, that, that would be the first thing. And uh, really just depending on what kind of lending or what sort of loan the borrower needs, what kind of business he has, I'd ask him, how much of that do you do? You know, I mean, some people, sometimes people come to me with something that's a totally legitimate SBA loan, but um, it just may not be in our niche. You know, we have a lot of niches, and we always try to expand those, but sometimes it's just more the niche of something that somebody else might do. So I think it's a fair point for a borrower to say, do you do much of this? Um, When was the last time you did one? And... um, you know, kind of, kind of get them to to tell you a little of the bank background in that particular um, field. Well, I, I, if if I could add to that, I think it's important that the borrower understand the approval process. Um, there are a lot of national SBA lenders, and and the approval process may be in another city, another town, may take forever. Um, you know, at Embassy, we're pretty tight. Sure. Um, and uh, we, we talk about all these things, um, all, all these these deals all the time. And, Nitin, you're on the loan committee. Um, uh, what kinds of things do you look for? Um, I mean, going back to your earlier point, I think the best advantage for a borrower to go to a small community bank, which is, has a local decision-making power, is very important. There are a lot of big banks who have gotten into SBA, but those guys who are sitting at the branch has no authority. They're just basically a paper collector. Then the loan goes to some head office somewhere out of state or in state in big cities. It sits in a line for somebody to look at it because there are millions of other branches fitting into it. So loan process may take forever. They may not even see the real person who is underwriting it versus bank like ours, a small community bank where you can have questions or some difficult question that could be resolved. We can give you different alternatives to resolve your problems. You may not have enough equity. We can figure out a way to get a second mortgage. There are a lot of things that small community banks, which makes a local decision, where oftentimes a shareholder or owner of the bank is sitting in the inside the bank with the authority to make a lot of decisions or call upon loan committees or board members to say, can I do this, can I do that? That is very important in terms of the speed. And I think any borrower that wants to look at really establishing a long-term relationship with a bank needs to look at a community bank because that's where the future belongs. You see all these large banks do not have even general managers in the branch. By the time you get to know somebody, he's transferred somewhere. So there's no repo built. There's no customer relationship built anymore. All you're doing is doing a transaction. Versus at community banks, all these banks, people are there forever. Some people are lifelong uh, uh, owners. So I think it is... For small business, the best-suited banks are the community banks, in my opinion. Well, I know, to to that point, Nitin, um, an advantage for me over 
competitors and, frankly, places I've been in the past is, you know, I've got Joe's office on one side of me. I've got you a couple over from there. Uh, you guys at some point in the process are going to get in the car with me and uh, go meet the borrower, take a look at the property. And, uh, you know, that's just not the kind of thing that you can get with a big bank. And the borrower, you know, frankly, borrowers like getting to meet the chairman of the bank and the president of the bank and to know that he's looked at their loan and, and uh, you know, is, is enthused about whatever it is he might be doing with his business. And so, yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's a tremendous advantage. Um, Bobby, are there SBA lenders out there that will say, uh, oh, yeah, we can do that deal, and then they can't follow through? I, I have heard rumors, Joe. I'm not sure that's true, but yeah, of course. It's uh, you know people people want to get just get their foot in the door, and and I think there's often a perception that I maybe can't do what you want, but let me tell you, I can do what you want. We'll get far enough down the road that you've got to succumb to whatever other guarantors I want, or how much more cash I need, or perhaps shorten the term. And uh, yeah, it's important to us that we that we go into it and get it approved. The way we quoted it, and uh, you know, I think all of us on the loan officer side take pride in, in trying to figure that out and stay on top of what what the committee's looking for, and and uh, give it to you the way the way we presented it. Yeah, one one rule of thumb is I, I would think is the if the lender is starting to ask you really tough questions, then it's a good indication that they are really starting to look at your loan. Right. And if the if it's always yeah we're working on it or whatever then that's probably a sign that it's stuck somewhere. Yep, yep, or hasn't been looked at, or hasn't yeah, been looked yeah. at. Um, you know what? We're almost out of time. What I'm going to do is, uh, Nitin, I'm going to, I'm just. What are some of the key issues that you want to talk about relative to hotels right now? Uh, I think going in the future, I think the industry's uh, dynamics looks very good. The average daily rate, the occupancies are going up. Any person who is thinking about entering into any kind of business need to look at the hotel business. Uh, uh, it's a very attractive business. It's a way to build cash flow, way to own, uh, own a business that creates equity in long term. And the uh, future has been very good. There is a financing available under the SBA and USDA uh, um, guide. Um, and this is the best time to get in because the prices have not peaked yet. So this, in my opinion, a borrower looking to get into business, this is the business to look into it. Um, and we are ready to serve them anytime. Um, Bobby, what are you, what are some concluding thoughts? Um, you know, I think borrowers are at a, at a point now where um, – Financing is coming back, and for existing hotel owners, a good time to perhaps do a renovation. You know, we've used the word PIP a few times in this in this conversation. It's a good time to renovate your hotel. Uh, that often necessitates a refinance, not always, but, um, you know, it's a good time to, to do that. The number, you know, we, we look at it all the time, the difference in numbers for a renovated hotel perhaps a more competitively flagged hotel after a renovation is significant. And uh, the money that they make and the ability to amortize that cost of doing that renovation is significant. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would say that now is a good time, um, you know, for, for banks like us that are, are um, in the business and looking for business. You know, I think we're, we're positioned. We have our system set up. Um, to to serve the bank or serve the borrower 
probably better than anyone in the market. Well, um, we've pretty much run out of time, but I just want to conclude by letting everybody know that Embassy National Bank, uh, we are lending. Uh, we have for several years, and um, uh, this year we're targeted. Nitin, we'll put about $50 million in new loans on the books. Yes. Um, and um, with very competitive rates, as, as Bobby has, has talked about, and, uh, and, and we'll make it easy on everybody, um, as easy as we can, and, and be very efficient and, and try to close. Um, well, guys, thanks so much for being with me, Nitin, especially you. Um, I know you don't do well on airplanes, especially 22 hours, but uh, at least they kept track of your plane all the way from India, right? right. They didn't lose it. Yeah, thank God. I, I can handle jet lag, but I can't handle <laughs> not finding my plane. <laughs> and, Bobby, thank you for being here. Thanks, Joe. Um, this is uh, the uh, conclusion of the uh, inaugural broadcast of On the Money. And uh, we're going to be um, bringing you some really good topics in the future. We'll be here every week at 3 o'clock. Don't forget, you can listen to the show anytime you want um, uh, by visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. On the Money is one word all spelled together, and Business Radio X is all spelled together. Um, so until next time, this is Joe Moss, and I, I wanted to come up with a clever tagline to finish our broadcast with and and to all your small business owners out there i know what kind of risk you're going through because uh, i i am one myself um, and i run a small business bank um, so i'll conclude with this life is a journey perilous indeed but we were not meant for safe haven so with that we will see you next week thank you so much <laughs>